You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Of course, a part of the 247sports.com network. The show is always brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. You got one Wednesday left in the month of July. That means Gelato July coming to a close this Wednesday. Your last opportunity this month to get that free scoop of creamy, savory, special gelato. Out there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Joined on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the six Woo! <laughs> of Sports Talk Radio. Joe, how was your weekend, my man? Uh, it was actually pretty good. I had some company come over, and, uh, you know, it was a great weekend. Yeah, it was a pretty laid back, just around the house weekend. You know, I got the grill going Saturday night, threw a couple steaks out there, put a little fresh cut zucchini and some tin foil, a little sweet onion to go with those fillets. That was a good Saturday night. Had a little bit of company over. Not much. Uh, but it was a good it was a good weekend. It was a good weekend spent watching sports on the cable. We were so fired up on Friday because we had the start of the major league baseball season. We had the NBA on the cusp of cranking up its restart down there at Walt Disney World. That's still going to take place this week, we think. Uh, And, of course, we had the PGA Tour. I was glued to the PGA Tour all weekend because you had a couple of guys with Alabama ties. Michael Thompson, former Alabama All-American, 2008 SEC Player of the Year, in contention through throughout the weekend, goes on to win for the second time on the PGA Tour yesterday, Michael Thompson does. The guy they know, they call Slick, by the way. Slick with his second PGA Tour win yesterday. And you had Robbie Shelton from that Alabama contingent with his career best, tie for third up there in Minnesota at the 3M Open. So I was locked into that. We did have the Braves throughout the weekend. I figured I'd come on this morning we talk about what's coming up this week because you got high school football practice in the state of Alabama cranking up today. You got training camp set to get underway in the National Football League. The Braves took two out of three over the Mets up in Gotham. 
How about Marcelo Zuna on Saturday afternoon, by the way? Two out bomb to tie that game and send it to extra innings where the Braves would get their first win of this COVID-19 shortened season. Interesting extra innings format, right? In this uh, abbreviated season. Going to put that runner on second base with no outs. Do you like that or no? You know, I do like it. But I'll tell you where I especially like it, Joe. I like it more in the minor leagues. Why in the world the minor leagues would play more than nine innings is beyond me. I get it now. From a t- In terms of concessions, yeah, play all night, right? You want people like Pops and his merry band of uh, ill repute. You want those folks hitting up that beer stand all night long. But there is still a seventh inning cutoff. But, yeah, I mean, I like it. We've seen it in fast-pitch softball. I think in fast-pitch softball, it is put a runner on second with one out. What Major League Baseball is doing is putting a runner on second with nobody out. That makes it an entirely different situation. That means somebody's going to score in the 10th in all likelihood. Really tough to keep a guy on second from scoring with less than, with no outs. Uh, as the, I like it. I like it, though. I don't need to watch baseball for 17 or 18 innings. I'm good with the rule. I'm good with the universal DH. That's going to stick, by the way. A universal DH isn't going anywhere. But the Braves take two of three, put on an absolute home run derby last night up at City Field, man. I was worried about those cardboard folks, those cardboard cutouts out there in the bleachers because some of those bombs that the Braves were launching last night thought they might do a little damage to the cardboard folks at City Field. Austin Riley... The one he hit last night off the facade of the very upper deck of the stadium, that thing looked like the Concorde taking off from LaGuardia on its way to Heathrow in London. That was that, It had a flight attendant on it, I'm pretty sure, that one from Austin Riley. But you had Ozuna with a home run last night and a double. Dansby Swanson with a home run, five RBI. Ozzie Albies with a home run. And so these are all the things I want to talk about, along with Alabama, of course, picking up a five-star defensive tackle yesterday and Damon Payne of Belleville, Michigan. And by the way, we're going to talk about all these things as we move throughout the program because we have Hank South coming up later in the show. We have Matt Hughes, former Alabama golfer, BFF of Michael Thompson on the heels of Slick's win yesterday. We're going to get some great insight from Matt Hughes into Michael Thompson. But man, this news this morning of the COVID-19 breakout with the Miami Marlins. That'll give you the case of the Mondays. And now it brings up the whole aspect of bubble scenarios versus bubble-free, bubble-less, hubba-bubba, bubble-licious. Brings all that into play. And so you start thinking about football and following a similar format of not exactly being bubbled. I'll tell you what, though. I still like college football's potential to bubble more than I probably do Major League Baseball or even the NFL. Because I think in college football, I don't think this is, they've come right out and said it. I don't know how in the hell college football players are going to go to on-campus classes. For me, college football players at this point, the decision has to be made. If you're really going to try to play football this fall, it has to be remote learning. Not just for football players, but for student athletes in general. Right. And you have to keep them out of the gen pop of your student base as much as possible. I know that academicians, 
I know that chancellors and presidents don't want to hear that, but if you're really willing to go this far up to the line to try to play football this fall, it's got to be remote learning, in my opinion. Our youngest, our daughter, who enrolls at UA coming up here in the next few weeks, she registered for classes a week ago. She has, I think it's five classes total. And of her five classes, she's only scheduled to meet in a classroom twice during the week. And, and I'm talking about one meeting on one day, one meeting on the other. Not two classes that are going to meet twice a week. Two classes that are going to meet once a week each. Everything else is going to be online. So if you're going to that extent with the students, just keep the student athletes out of it altogether. They're on campus, technically, you know, if that's such a prerequisite. And if you can do that, I think you have a better chance of sustaining a bubble than you do with these Major League Baseball teams and pro athletes. Look at my guy, Sweet Lou Williams of the L.A. Clippers. They couldn't keep him out of the Gentleman's Club in Atlanta. And yeah, I know, Lou, they got your name on the chicken wings there at Magic City in Atlanta. I get you. I get you. Wink, wink. But uh, I think in some ways, if, if, if any of these bubble-free sports are going to make it, maybe it's college football that has the best chance. And when I say that, I'm not saying I have great expectations right now for any of these bubble-free sports to sustain. But uh, I might go with college, uh, I might go with, uh, with college football in that scenario. Yeah. So let's get into it, all right? Let's get into some Michael Thompson talk coming up next. We'll visit with Matt Hughes. Great guy. Great player in his own right. Matt Hughes uh, played some professional golf after his time under J.C. Well in the University of Alabama men's golf program. Really good friends with Mike Tom- Michael Thompson. Caddied for Michael Thompson back in 2015, so he's got a lot of great insight into Slick. And then coming up a little bit later, Hank South is going to jump on board, and we're going to talk Damon Payne in depth with Hank. So we got a full show for you. Hope you'll hang in there with us on this Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports, presented in part by Houston Hydrasteam, home of the Houston Hydrasteam Rug Revival. I told you about it many times. You need to experience it for yourself. 205-553-9460. They're going to take care of your carpet. They're going to take care of your rugs. They're going to take care of your upholstery, your tile, your grout cleaning, all of it. Houston Hydrasteam, locally owned, locally operated. Jackie and his folks do a tremendous job. Houston Hydrasteam, quality work you can stand on. Back with more of Southern Fried Sports on a Monday right after this. A mixture of clouds and sunshine this afternoon with scattered showers and thunderstorms around through tonight. The high today, 91. Tonight's low, 72. Tomorrow, cloudy at times. Look out for scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms during the day. The high, 89. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app.
back with more of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. With you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. It was a fun weekend if you're a fan of pro golf on the cable. And certainly if you understand uh, the sort of program that the University of Alabama has had on the men's front. The women's front, too. Mick Potter's done a super job with the ladies over at UA. But Jay Sewell during his tenure, the players that have come through the program, well, all you got to do is turn on the golf channel turn on CBS over the last few weekends and Justin Thomas, uh, Bud Cauley. Uh, but this weekend was reserved for a couple of guys. First and foremost, Michael Thompson with that outstanding win, his first on the PGA tour since 2013 also had a very impressive performance, a career type performance from Robbie Shelton up there at the 3M open as well. But had a little special treat for you today in that Matt Hughes, a former University of Alabama golfer himself, a former teammate of Michael Thompson, among others, at the University of Alabama. In fact, uh, Matt, a former pro golfer in his own right, and also worked on the bag for Michael Thompson, his really good friend back in the 2015 season. And with that, we bring Matt on the program. Matt, how are you doing this morning? I guess pretty good after the last few days. That was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I was a uh, a pro Sherpa there carrying heavy stuff for Michael um, in 2015. And so got to see the ins and outs of what that life is like. And um, I mean, obviously, he's just, he's just a good friend before anything, but he was kind of my boss for a little while. Um, so kind of knowing what it takes to do what he just did was was a lot, a lot of fun to watch. I know you got a phone call from Michael Thompson last night. I guess that was uh, that was well received. I bet you enjoyed that too. Yeah, it's. I mean, one of the coolest things was watching social media and people talking about, man, you know, I might not have. You know, he's not a high household name, but just talking about how good a guy he was. And and last night he calls me uh, like I'm in Georgia. He calls me at like 10:30 Georgia time. He had just left the golf course. He'd just been hanging out with a few friends because, of course, his family wasn't there. Not nobody's allowed to be there. And um, been just excited, pumped. And I mean, we've been on the phone three minutes, and he's asking me about my family and my kids. And that's just the kind of guy he is. He's just had probably the biggest day, biggest week of his career, and you know, still not even thinking about himself. But it was fun just to kind of feel that excitement from him and uh, kind of relive some shots with him and hear some stories. Hey, you talk about the person that he is. Was that pretty evident to you when you guys first started to kind of link up there, I guess, here in Tuscaloosa's teammates? And uh, is that a quality that kind of comes out uh, with, with Mike and, and just about every Michael and everybody he comes across? Well, I tell you, we um, a couple of guys, we kind of bragged that we turned him into a redneck. I mean, I'm from Georgia and went to Alabama. He, yeah, he's he's originally from Tucson, and a lot of people know the story. He was at Tulane. Hurricane Katrina came through Tulane. They did away with their non-revenue sports, and he was kind of like a free agent. Um, got offered a full ride to Florida, and he came to Alabama on no scholarship his first year. He came on a visit, and we just kind of all hit it off. We had a really special brotherhood. It was a really special time uh, to be a part of Alabama golf. We were not good, and we're kind of plowing our way to the top, and now they're kind of – perennial you know favorite um and he came along and you know he he wasn't just a good old southern boy like a lot of us were 
but he turned into one quick and um it, it was really fun to just kind of become close with him then obviously i mean you, we're a small team you got anywhere from eight to 12 guys every year on a golf team and you're you're together a lot to say the least um so became really close there and then he, he just got in a stage of life where he he wanted somebody like that i wanted a friend on the bag to caddy for him on tour and um I was actually flying home from a tournament myself, and I turned my phone on in the airport when I landed and had a voicemail from him. And I remember I called my wife before I even listened to the voicemail. I said, I, for some reason, I think he's about to ask me to caddy for him, and, and that's what it was. <laughs> and so I, I toted the sack for uh, 32 events for him, and we, we had, a, had a really good time, and, and it was really cool. Um, I actually went to St. Simon's and spent two days with him before the season started that year, and, and again, just – to him being the the man that he is, we, we spent one night. We were we were up all night, just kind of excited about the year to come and talking about different things and strategy and and stuff. But he made a huge point, and he said, "Matt, whatever happens, like you may mess up. I mean, not you know, may add or subtract a yardage wrong." And he said, "I may I may hit bad shots. We're going to get frustrated just in the heat of competition." He said, "But no matter what, I want you to know that we're going to be friends and hopefully better friends." you know, however long this experience lasts. And that was just really special to me that it was evident that was at the forefront of, of us uh, kind of working together that year. And as, as you alluded to, it wasn't Michael's best year by a long shot in 2015. So while we're on the the immediate sort of high following a big win, one of those career-defining wins for Michael Thompson on the PGA Tour over the weekend, you've seen him at the lowest of lows, I guess, professionally. And as you talked about, just that even keeled sort of approach. And um, I guess watching that on Sunday, you probably had to feel good about his chances down the stretch because you know what's inside this guy. You know what he's about. No doubt. No doubt. I thought he looked very comfortable and he's a epitome of a field player. He's kind of a throwback got kind of a throwback golf swing he's not he's not going to be somebody that some coach or some dad is going to you know pull up his swing on a slow motion video or his putting stroke and try to get their young one to emulate Michael uh, he just does like some classic things he's got really good tempo and rhythm and and um, super down to earth super humble but but I think everybody saw kind of this um I mean, I know it's it's like an oxymoron to say, but kind of a calm fire that's inside of him. On the outside was was just the game face, man. You know, he had the he had the stern face on, but that fire in his belly kind of drove him drove him through to the finish line. Um, yeah, you know, I will call it a um, we'll call it a coincidence, I guess, that I happened to caddy for him in the worst worst year on his career. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I should take some blame for that, but. Again, like a, a lot of people just don't realize what was going on in his life and, and caddying. I got to see that just because you have a PGA Tour card doesn't mean you're exempt from life. And uh, I mean, they're they're guys and gals just like us, that, you know, put their pants on one leg at a time, as the saying goes. And uh, he and his wife were trying to have kids and, and it wasn't going well. And, um, you know, I had buddies texting me saying, um you know, why can't you make a cut? You know, you're terrible. You can't get him, you know, to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, y'all, if y'all just knew what, what he and his wife were going through and, um, he was playing terrible. I'll tell you this. We were, uh, I'll never forget this. And I just reminded him about it when we were on the phone, um, last night we were in Houston 
at the um i guess it's just called the houston open it was the week before the masters and the only way he was going to get in the masters was to win that week but him winning seemed i mean it was like if we'd won the lottery it was so far from reality and he and his wife were just struggling with some personal stuff that they were battling, not not against each other, but just together going, you know, right. trying to have children. And um, his golf game was just kind of out of whack. And he, he might, if he ever hears this, I'm gonna get in trouble. But <laughs> he had he had tears coming out of his eyes on a Monday practice round on the golf course, and I had to literally put my arm around him. And I'm thinking, man, this is not Michael Thompson, the pro golfer anymore. Like this is my best friend. Like this is my buddy. And, and man, he's just broken. And I, I give him a hard time. Like, that was probably the best caddy job I did because we made the cut that week. And I'm like, dude, you were crying on Monday and we yeah. made the cut. Um, but he just, life had just broke him down. And just because you're a pro athlete, nobody's immune from that. Um, so to just kind of know where he's come from and he battled insecurities just like everybody. I mean, uh, people watch pro athletes and they think that. They're these mental giants. And he told me last night on the phone, he's like, man, I'm hitting that five iron to lay up on the last hole. And I was thinking, you know, don't flare it right into the water and lose this thing. And I'm like, that really was going through your head? He said, absolutely. (laughs) So (laughs) he's just a normal dude. And that's really cool to hear that uh, because it it does make him uh, just kind of like one of us. You know, he's easy to pull for. Yeah. And as we all became more aware of during the broadcast over the weekend, and especially on Sunday, you, you touched on it, the adoption process that he and his wife Rachel have gone through not just once with their son Jace but here recently uh with little Laura a baby girl um I I think you just said it I I don't think outsiders media like what I do fans in general understand how much if, if someone's legitimately interested in family um you know, and, and those things, how much that that's tough to, to deal with when things aren't going well, especially in a sport like golf, where you you especially cannot hide from that because it almost requires that sort of mental vacuum. Um, you have to become you tell me if I'm wrong. You have to be borderline selfish, don't you? In a sport like golf to be really, really good at the highest level. hundred percent. Hundred percent, no doubt. And uh, I mean, you, you you touched on it. I mean, the reason I'm not caddying for him anymore is because I had a family. I, I, I got we had our first child while during the season, and I realized really quick, like it might be worth it, you know, to have a family if I was being able to play at the level he was. I was a, an aspiring player, but it is not worth it for me to be the caddy and ha- and leave a family at home. I caddied 32 weeks in a 52 week year. So, I mean, and it wasn't like, you know, I know people that, um, you know, I don't know, they may, they may work from Monday to Thursday in another city and fly home Friday morning. Well, it wasn't that. I mean, I I literally did not go to my house in the month of March and the month of June. I mean, so when, when, when a tour player says, Hey, I'm playing four in a row. I mean, you say bye to somebody on June 1st, let's say, and you come home June 28th. I mean, they're gone four weeks in a row. Um, I became friends with Ben Crane and his caddy and Ben Crane's a super guy. He's got three kids that are kind of middle school age now. And, and he said, Matt, I literally get physically sick the first night I walk into a, ho- a hotel room, you know, for a two or three week stretch thinking about, you know, here's the first night of being gone from my family. So um, really cool that he's kind of had the the family thing kind of all come together now for him. It's just it, it truly is a miracle and, a, and an answered prayer. 
Yeah, I guess technology has probably helped to an extent because now we have Skype and FaceTime and Zoom and, and things like that, but it's still not the same. It's still the nomadic existence that just does not lend itself very well to uh, a family life. And so uh, very understandable. A lot of great players, right? Probably a lot of great players that we've never heard of that came to that same decision because it, it is so gut wrenching to, to do what these guys do on a, on a, you know, four five, six, seven month basis. Uh, absolutely. There's no doubt. There were, uh, I had teammates that were playing professionally and that were playing well and just decided to be done and said it wasn't for them. And, and while I was in college, a couple of them were a little older than me. I'm thinking, man, you're crazy. Like, why would you give up that opportunity? And then once you get in that arena, uh, you understand it. You you really understand it. And I think it's, um, you know, that's why I, li- I like pulling for the young guys. And I mean, cause it's like, Hey, go out there and make your hay while you're young and while you don't have a family and you, and you are allowed, I guess, to be a little bit more selfish because, it does become uh, maybe a little bit more difficult to feel justified in doing all the things that you need or want to do to be a great player when you, you know, when you've been gone for three weeks in a row and you come home and you got a wife and kids and you know you you need to go practice you want to go practice but you also want to be around them so it's a really tough balance. Um, I just I find myself after getting to caddy for a year um, and, and getting just a little inside glimpse I find myself giving more grace to, you know, stories I hear about guys on tour because, you know, there's a lot of guys that live a very nice life and fly around on private jets and different things like that. But there's a lot of guys like Michael Thompson that are yeah. grinding, earning their job every year away from their families that are, that are a lot like you and I. Um, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. Yeah. It's not all Phil Mickelson and Tiger and, Right, Rory right. and those guys. It's 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 more ninety five percent of uh, guys just trying to stay employed. And that this again is is you know it's it's also to salute the person that Michael Thompson is, but it's also to put into context the fact that he was able to win again, going seven years on the PGA Tour between wins. Uh, it just speaks to the accomplishment of Michael Thompson from over the weekend. Up in Minnesota. Now, Matt, uh, you talked about his game, and I know watching the broadcast, and you know this because you've been around him, uh, he also had some sort of inner conflict about how he needed to play. They talked about it on the CBS broadcast, uh, the Golf Channel broadcast from over the weekend, how he had experimented with playing the ball more right to left with a draw. His natural game had always been more of a left to right fade type game. Um and you said it too, feel, which just flies in the face of what we hear today, Bryson DeChambeau. All we hear about is ball speed, club head speed, all those things. And so it was kind of a retro win by Michael Thompson over the weekend. But it uh, sounds like he, he went back to what had served him well uh, for the majority of his golf career, and, and he was rewarded for it. Absolutely. Um it was kind of cool, like listen, the announcers, M. Baker Finch and Nick Faldo kind of throwbacks himself, really enjoying watching him play well. Um, I mean, you're right. Nowadays, these guys have these launch monitors that cost more than my car sitting behind them when they're practicing, you know, measuring every detail, every aspect of every shot they hit, the ball, the club, the swing. And and Michael just has kind of gotten back to being a field player. He had a, he had a little uh, spell pretty similar to this right after college. He, he signed on with an agent and the agent – 
um, told him, hey, you hit the ball too low. Nobody plays on tour and hits the ball that low. Michael kind of hit it low. He hit it left or right, and he's just one of the best putters that walked the planet, and that was just who he was. And so he tried to hit it high, and he played terrible. He was missing cuts on the what used to be the Hooters tour. And, and we're like, man, this guy's all-American, number one-ranked kid in the country. He graduates college, and he can't make the cuts on the developmental tour. And uh, Jay Sewell probably got a hold of him and said, hey, just go be yourself. And the next year, he won three or four times on some mini tours and got his tour card. Um, and then when I was caddying for him, and he was in a he was at a pretty vulnerable place, I'd say, just personally in his golf game and it's really easy to stand on those driving ranges on the PJ tour and and you got Tiger on one side of you and Rory on one side of you and Dustin Johnson's down there and these guys are just bombing it and they're doing all these things and in the back of your mind you're like man I, I don't know if I can do that I, I can't do that <laughs> it was I'll say this I was a, a college player an aspiring tour player and so I thought I knew what good and what great was. And when I got out there and got around it, those, those top guys in the, in the world, they're better than I even thought they were in person. I mean, it was really impressive. And it is, it takes some discipline to kind of be yourself. Um, and last night on the phone, it's exactly what Michael said. He said, and I remember Sewell telling him, Hey, don't, don't be anybody else. Just go play Michael Thompson golf. And that's, that's not worried about what your swing looks like. That's just getting comfortable in your own skin and then just having the confidence, like I'm going to, I'm going to make a lot of putts. He told me he went back to the putter he's using in college. And I told him, I was like, I don't know why you didn't do that a long time ago. You took so much money for me in college with that thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you ever changed. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of changes, he was, I believe headed to, uh, Reno Lake Tahoe this coming week to play in the Barracuda championship out there is sort of the secondary event with the WGC event set for just up the road in Memphis this week at the FedEx St. Jude Invitational. Sounds like he's going to be here in the South with us, though, after that win. That got him into the WGC event, uh, gets him into the PGA Championship. Uh, the check isn't bad, at just under $1.2 million from last week, but... The exemption, I guess, uh, when you add up all the, the prizes that come with, with a win like that, uh, I guess the exemption still has to be right there at the uh, as job security, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially, again, for, you know, like Justin Thomas isn't worried about keeping his PGA Tour card. I mean, I, I guess he's won a major. He's got it for five or ten years now. But, you know, he's not when he when that exemption runs out he's not going to play the next season worrying about keeping his job and but there are only a small percentage of those types of guys that are kind of at that elite level and you know it's not if they're going to win again it's just win and then but most of the tour is guys like michael thompson and um we actually had to go back to what is now the corn Ferry tour when i was caddying for him and, and earn his pga tour card a different way and, and i remember that was the most excited he was the whole year i mean we I think the best finish we had was a third place finish actually in Memphis coincidentally where he's going next week but uh, he was way more excited about getting that tour card and uh, last year I think he played good I can't remember if it was last year or the year before anyway there was a year recently where he played good early in the year and he figured out he had wrapped up enough FedEx um, cup points to at least keep his tour card and I remember him texting me you know, like, hey, I kept my card for the next year, and I don't know, he just finished like 30th or something. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything special, but that's a huge deal for those guys. Um, he said it in his interview yesterday. This, it's a really cool deal. I mean, you're like you said, you're fighting for your job security. You have to earn it every single year. There's no signed three-year contracts uh, for most guys on the PGA Tour. I mean, you're you're earning it 
every single year. And so that's a, that's a huge deal for him. Well, Matt, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on Southern Fried Sports. Great insight. Uh, great to catch up with you. And we're definitely going to do this again real soon. Man, I would love it. I just appreciate it. I, I just I appreciate you having me on. I just more than anything, as I was watching it and, and people I was just kind of watching social media, people start talking about how they were now a fan of Michael and wanted to pull for him and just saw how genuine he was. And to be able to just add a little bit more to that was was really all I wanted to do. He is he is one of the good guys and it's fun to see the good guys win and, and pull for those guys. So roll tied to that. Hey, we appreciate it, Matt. Take care, my man. We'll do it again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Travis. There he goes. Matt Hughes, former University of Alabama golfer, professional golfer in his own right. Also uh, worked on the bag for Michael Thompson back in 2015. So some really good insight into Michael's win over the weekend on the PGA Tour up at the 3M Open, his first on the PGA Tour since 2013. Going to head to a break. We come back. More Southern Fried Sports on a Monday presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. stadium tour last summer we're gonna do it again this year of course COVID-19 had other plans for the Stones and the rest of us and apparently the Rolling Stones will get after it again in a year's time so Mick Jagger looking at 78 years old next summer while he's still out shaking it doing his thing with the Rolling Stones. It is a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM Travis Ryer Senior analyst for BamaOnline.com. As promised, we're checking in with Hank South, recruiting analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com. Hank's been working some Sundays pretty hard the last couple weeks. Alabama for the second straight Sunday with a big pickup, literally and figuratively, this time on the defensive side of the ball as five-star defensive tackle Damon Payne of Belleville, Michigan makes it known that he, too, will join this 2021 class for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And with that, Hank, uh, I'm trying to think. Mark Ingram is pretty much the one, at least, player of note during the Nick Saban era that Alabama has gone up into Michigan to get. Alabama gets players from everywhere, as we know, but uh, seldom do we see them up in Michigan, I guess. Yeah, you know, I was looking back yesterday to – um, try try to see um, when when the last player from Michigan was at least committed because um, I knew I knew that since I've been covering Alabama since 2015, there's been at least one and um, Khalid Kareem who who ultimately ended up um, decommitting and, and ended up with Notre Dame. 
Um, that's the last Michigan. But um, as far as actually landing and signing, yeah, it, you have to go back a little ways. So let's talk about this commitment of Dame and Payne. And he becomes the 16th verbal for Alabama in this 2021 cycle. Um uh, Seemed to have been trending pretty heavily towards Alabama for a considerable amount of time. Uh, interesting finalist list, I guess, for a guy from Michigan in that you didn't see the Wolverines in that final five. I don't believe Ohio State was in that mix. I guess maybe in-state Michigan State was sort of on the fringe, but one way or the other, it looked like Damon Payne was leaving the region. Yeah, and that was, you know, one thing he circled early in his recruitment was that, you know, distance wasn't going to play a factor in his decision. You saw that in his finalists list, whether it be Alabama, Arizona State, USC, Kentucky, which I guess is sort of close, uh, and and Michigan State, which, uh, yeah, you know, home state. But still, yeah, Michigan and Ohio State made his top 10, but they didn't make his final cut come decision time. But yeah, it's been a recruitment that's that's really trended Bama's way, um, you know, at least all of 2020, at least, if not beyond that, um, in his interview, um, talking about his commitment and, and uh, decision to, to join Alabama, he, he said he's known for a little over a year now that that was going to be the choice, but wanted to take his time, wanted to take some visits, see what else was out there um, before, you know, coming back on, on Alabama. Um, but yeah, you know, the crystal ball was trending 100% in favor uh, of UA ahead of Sunday's decision, um, and Bama got it done, and, and you know, just a massive pickup. Um, we've seen them really hit on the offensive line hard, and now you know we're seeing the defensive line start to come alive. Already have Anquin Barnes in the fold, but to add Damon Payne, the number one defensive tackle in the country, um, it, it's a big, a big addition to the to the class. Pretty impressive run along the defensive line over these last two plus classes. Now, considering that Alabama's had three different defensive line coaches, now currently. Home to Freddie Roach, of course, taking over uh, that group for 2020 and beyond, you would think, the former Alabama linebacker. So uh, what about Charles Huff, too, in all this? Because the running backs coach for Alabama, I know I've talked with Tim Watts, our site publisher at BOL on the Bama online podcast here in the last few days about you know how Huff has been a central figure in this class, is very much in the running for number one recruiter. Uh, in the nation for the 2021 cycle. Uh, is it is it pretty much luck of the draw in terms of how these areas play out and guys fall into those areas in particular classes? Or is this more a testament to exactly the kind of recruiter that, that Charles Huff really is? I, you know, I think it's the latter. You know, he, he's in uh, certainly one of the biggest hotbed regions in, in the country for recruiting in South Florida. And that's, you know, been no small feat for for any guy for any recruiter that's been down there for Alabama every that that seems to be Bama's you know ace recruiter spot whether you know Joe Panunzio did a really good job down there obviously Mario Cristobal um, prior to that um, did really really well in South Florida and now Charles Huff is starting to to make a name for himself down there um, for Alabama you know he's, he's currently rated the number one recruiter in the country and he he was already the number one recruiter in the country at the beginning of July when Dallas Turner committed to Alabama out of St. Thomas Aquinas so to add uh to add Damon Payne to the fold on Sunday that just further you know strengthens his standing atop the sta- I, I'm not sure how he could get overtaken at this point if you look at his, the commits he has on board it's uh JC Latham the five-star offensive tackle Ja'Cory Brooks the five-star receiver Damon Payne, the five-star defensive tackle, Dallas Turner, the borderline five-star um, edge rusher, 
And then Devontae Smith, who's a four-star cornerback in 24-7 sports, is writing. So he's just really crushed on the recruiting trail. In terms of Damon Payne, you know, Charles Huff is really, really close with uh, with Damon's head coach, Jermaine Crowell. Um, they, they've had a relationship dating back to Huff's time at Penn State. So um, that that was a big, you know, inroad there in Damon Payne's recruitment in, in a way he was really able to connect um, and, you know, feel comfortable with Alabama um, once they started recruiting him, in 20, uh, you know, back after they offered in, in early 2019. You talk about Huff being very difficult to overtake as the top recruiter for the 2021 cycle. Is Ohio State still so far up there at number one that the Buckeyes may prove to be difficult to overtake for Alabama, even with this incredible run we've seen the Crimson Tide on for the last six to eight weeks or so? Yeah, you know, it's 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 going to be a, a tight race. Um, it, Ohio State is not too far ahead to overcome. Um, but, you know, e- even adding Damon Payne on, on Sunday, Bama is still 25 points back from Ohio State on the on the team rankings, which just is, you know, a testament of how good Ohio State's class is. But, you know, certainly still within range, especially if you look at who's remaining for Alabama, um, whether, you know, several five-star targets, whether it be Quincy McKinstry, Jason Marshall, Marius Mims, there's, there's opportunities for Bama – um, you know, to eventually jump Ohio State. And of course, you know, we, we, we've seen Bama continue to recruit Ohio State commit uh, to Mise Adelaide, um, the elite defensive lineman from IMG Academy. So obviously, you know, if he, if he were to change his mind and, and flip to Alabama or, or even just decommit, you know, that's going to that's going to lower their standing uh, and give Bama a chance to, to climb. But, you know, with 16 commitments, you know, that's that's room for, you know, at least nine more if you're going by 25, uh, 25 commitments. Um, so, um, Bama's going to have a have a chance to to make it close, if not overtake Ohio State. Now, VIP subscribers to BamaOnline.com, if they go to the website right now, they can get an outstanding outline from Hank South in regards to who could be next to commit to the Crimson Tide in this 2021 cycle. Without giving all of that away, I think you touched on some of the prime candidates that Alabama fans are most interested in. A couple of those at the cornerback position. I guess the secondary in general going to be a focus as Alabama looks to round out this class, Hank. And, um, you know, and then the, the, the sort of the sort of prime positions that we all pay attention to running back quarterback down the stretch, how those might play out too. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we, we've seen offensive line come together. We've seen the wide receiver class come together. And, and now we're kind of seeing a focus um, and obviously linebacker class, too. So, you know, seeing a focus on the secondary and, and defensive line yesterday with Damon Payne. And then, you know, going forward, there's other guys out there. But uh, the guys, you know, I, I've included in this in this list to watch. And also, you know, I should say tight end. That's been a position we've all closely tracked for a while. Um, I, I think, you know, the guy that makes the most sense as far as, you know, potential timeline next um, is Robbie Oots. Um, as far as, you know, guys, I think Bama has a pretty good shot at landing. Um, he's narrowed his list to, to Alabama and, and Virginia Tech. And, you know, he hasn't named a, or set a decision date, but, you know, it seems like it's coming soon. And, you know, we, we you know, we've tracked uh, as far as the who could commit next lists we've been doing for the month of July. All those guys have pretty much committed now. So we had to kind of make a new batch of potential commitments um, as far as who could join the class next. Um, beyond Oots, you know, 
I, I do think the secondary is something to watch, you know, whether it be Quincy McKinstry, the junior college cornerback, Kyrie Jackson, um, or even, you know, Jason Marshall. That, that's been a, he's kind of toyed around with the idea of an August 1st commitment date, but hasn't set anything. So there's still plenty of uh, players to track heading into August. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't think this this thing is slowing down. As far as a quarterback uh, target for this class, is it essentially, in your opinion, going to come down to a, uh, a flip scenario at this point, given the, the guys that are still out there for Alabama behind center? I think, yeah, those are the two priorities, whether it be Luke Altmaier, the Florida State commit, or, or Jalen Milrow, the Texas commit, um, you know. Both guys have continued to show interest in Alabama. Obviously, neither has uh, you know decommitted or actually changed their commitment to to Alabama. So it's still you know work to do there. Um, but those are the two priority um, targets. You know, Bama could obviously do some senior evaluations and, and maybe push for another guy down the road if they feel like they can't uh, or feel like they won't end up flipping one of the two. I, I still think you know the better shot is with Altmaier. Just you know, with proximity, he grew up in SEC country. He's been to Bama twice, um, and obviously, you know, he, he, he's closest um, to Alabama outside of Mississippi State. So we'll see. He, he has said he wants to take an official visit to Bama. Um, you know, whether visits happen this fall remains to be seen. Um, so we'll be keeping a close eye on that. One more wide receiver in this class, already three really good ones, uh, highly regarded for Alabama for the 2021 cycle, Hank. Uh, you see one more, and if it is, is it uh, another one of these prospects from the D.C. area, perhaps? That, that's my pick right now, and yeah, I, I do think the goal is one more. Uh, you know, if, if somebody's available that's in that, you know, elite category, um, you know, we, could we see Bama take five? Sure. Uh, but the, the guy I'm picking right now is uh, is Malcolm Johnson Jr., the, the four-star receiver from, from, uh, from Virginia. Um, so, you know, he, he's a guy that Bama's offered earlier this year. He was supposed to be on campus in March. That obviously couldn't happen with coronavirus. Um, and so, you know, he he's kind of he slowed down a little bit, but at the same time, he he's trying to narrow things down to to make a decision should he need to without taking visits. Um, you know, I think Maryland's a school to watch for him. Um, you know, he's talking to Auburn, LSU. So that there's still several schools in play. Um, but from who I've talked to, you know, it sounds like Bama's kind of created itself a nice little edge for him at this point. Um, and so he, he's one we're watching closely and yeah, he, like Christian Leary, you know, one of these just elite speed guys, he actually, I think he does like Olympic track trials, like stuff like that. So he, he plans to run track in college. He's got, you know, world-class speed for his, for his age. And, you know, that, that's certainly something, uh, Bama fans like to see, um, at the wide receiver position, especially. There you go. Hank South. If you go to Bama online right now. You can get a complete rundown on targets, guys who could be up next to commit to the Crimson Tide in this 2021 cycle on the heels of Sunday's huge news that Damon Payne, the five-star defensive tackle from Belleville, Michigan, had verbaled to UA. Continuing coverage of that commitment, by the way. Reaction, analysis, you name it, we've got it for you there at BamaOnline.com, and of course, Hank South, a big, big part of our coverage. Hank, as always, we appreciate the time, my man. Of course. Thanks for having me, Travis. There it goes. Hank South, BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, give Hank a follow on Twitter, at HankSouth247. Going to step aside for a break, and we come back. More of a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier, right here on Tide 100.9 FM, 
right after the a mixture of clouds and sunshine this afternoon with scattered showers and thunderstorms around through tonight the high today 91 tonight's low 72 tomorrow cloudy at times look out for scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms during the day the high 89 i'm james Spann on the abc 3340 weather center on tide 100.9 the flagship station for alabama crimson tide football alabama touchdown only on tide 100.9 and streaming on the tide 100.9 app Southern Pride Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Thanks again to Hank South, my colleague there at BamaOnline.com. Joining us on the program, Damon Payne, the five-star. Defensive tackle from Belleville, Michigan, committing to the Alabama Crimson Tide yesterday afternoon. You probably caught that on CBS Sports HQ. What a run of defensive linemen. For Alabama here in these last three classes. Positioning itself, perhaps, for another run similar to that window of, what, 2014 to 2018? You had Ashawn Robinson come through the program. You had Jaron Reed come through the program as a junior college transfer. Got into Jonathan Allen, Dalvin Tomlinson. Move into Deron Payne, Quinnen Williams, your 2018 Outland Trophy Award winner. Yeah, I'd say that was a pretty good stretch, a defensive lineman, wasn't it? And that's before you talk about the outside linebackers that are essentially an extension of that defensive line that you had in that stretch. Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams, yeah, not bad. Got into Terrell Lewis, Christian Miller. Had some real depth there at the outside linebacker positions as well and of course we know what that means from a pass rush perspective in this Alabama defense so Damon Payne looks to continue that run saw so many young players a year ago in that front seven Justin Oboigby, DJ Dale uh, Byron Young, Christian Barmore is a redshirt freshman last year Freddie Roach got a pretty nice room he's taken over returning to the capstone in his first year as the defensive line coach at his alma mater. Good group, talented group. And you're adding Tim Smith, a five-star type defensive tackle from this 2020 cycle most recently, continuing to build on it now with Payne and some others. It's a, it's a very, very good stretch here for Alabama and the defensive line. That's going to do it for a Monday edition of Southern Fried Sports. No Phillies and Yankees tonight, no Marlins no Orioles tonight, but we're still thinking we're going to get the Braves in the Devil Rays, although that's down in Tampa, in the state of Florida. The numbers down there haven't been uh, what you like at all, where the COVID-19 virus is concerned. We just uh, keep our fingers crossed and use some common sense, folks. Let's work together. been saying it for four months now. Do your job. Let's do it together. Thanks to Joe Gaither for producing the program, as always. Thanks to Matt Hughes for joining us. Thanks to uh, Hank South as well. And thank you. And once again, the lunch whistle on this Monday. That's going to come to you from 
Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Look, it's been a little bit of the Mondays so far, hasn't it? Well, you can take care of those blahs, those blues. Go by Southern Ale House, get you that Yardbird chicken sandwich, maybe get you that chopped wedge salad, get it with some grilled or fried chicken on there. Little blue cheese crumbles, little blue cheese dressing. If blue cheese isn't your thing, then they've got the other outstanding house-made dressings for you as well. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard. Until 11 a.m. on Tuesday. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. Thank you for listening to 